On today's episode of the John Campus Show podcast, the new Apple TV Plus Godzilla show, Monarch, dropped its first two episodes last night, and they're pretty damn good. We're going to talk about that. Also, The Hunger Games, A Ballad of Snakes and Ladders came out. I saw it. Ray saw it. Chris saw it. What did we think about it? We're going to tell you what we thought about it. Also, Tom Hardy's gotten on social media to post pictures. They are back on set and shooting Venom 3 right now. Steven Yeun apparently is now confirmed that he's going to play the sentry in the MCU and the Thunderbolts. And according to a report, Kevin Feige is now looking for one single director to direct a two-parter Avengers, Avengers 5 and 6. What does that mean for the overall storyline and Kang or not Kang? We're going to talk about that and a whole bunch more. The John Campy Show podcast starts right now. Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the best damn movie related show on the planet at the John Campbell Show podcast. Coming to you from right here in our quaint little studio, brought to you in part by our friends at Mint Mobile. I am, of course, your host, John Campia, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies and movie news, TV and streaming, and all sorts of good stuff, not just giving you our opinions, but hopefully giving you some background and context so you guys can form your own well-informed opinions, whether the exact same or completely different than ours. Uh, joining me in studio today over here, we got Ray Sentry. Hi, 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 Jonathan Boyko's here. The delightful hey. Chris Carr is here. Hi, guys. And most importantly... You guys are here. Thanks for being here and making the show part of your day. And here's how today's show is going to go. We're going to start off by talking about those predetermined topics. Then in the last part of the show, we're going to take your live comments and questions. We already asked our beloved YouTube channel members. By the way, thank you for being YouTube channel members. And if you're not, you should become one. We asked them earlier today to send in some topics. We're going to get to as many of those as we can. But also, if you guys are watching live, you can use the Super Chat feature in the live chat to send in a topic or question. And if it's appropriate to be used on our show, we'll address that near the end of the show. All right, guys, with that down, let's get things started off here with this. The new Godzilla series in Apple TV Plus, Monarch, uh, was supposed to come out on Apple TV Plus today. However, they shifted around their timetable a bit and they actually dropped the first two episodes of the series last night. Now, we had heard some people who had some early screenings of it say that it was quite good, but that if you're hoping to see a show that's a big battle royale between a whole bunch of monsters, you're not going to get that, at least not in the first, you know, batch of episodes that come out, the first two, three, four, five episodes, whatever. And I was a little bit concerned about that because, you know, one of, Ray, you know this, one of the big critiques a lot of people had about that Godzilla movie a few years ago is like, hey, sure would be nice if we had some Godzilla in this Godzilla movie. You guys didn't like the cutaways? <laughs> you didn't like I thought it was I thought with cutaways were art. No, yeah, just a lot of cutaways the movie is what that was. So I was worried some people wouldn't really like it. And listen, I'll tell you what. If you had told me that the first bunch of episodes of Monarch were going to be about a young woman whose beloved father apparently passes away and upon going through his artifacts finds out he has another secret family in Tokyo. <laughs> That's what this Godzilla thing's about. I would have guffawed. Guffawed, I say. But I watched the first two episodes of Monarch. And it's good TV. It's it's really a good show. Because, first of all, this shot is in the first episode or two. 
And it's, that's, this is a part of a flashback to her being in San Francisco when Godzilla attacked San Francisco. But it's a time-jumping, time-moving show. Not that time travel's involved. It's just that it tells some of the story back in the 1950s, some of the story in the, you know, 2015, then going back in time again, further in time. You got Wyatt uh, Russell and Kurt Russell playing the same character, one when he was younger, one when he was older. Uh, Wyatt Russell's quite good in this. Good. He's, he's quite good in this so far. But I'll tell you what. While it is set in the background of monsters, mutos, I think they're, they're called, becoming a part of our world, and the first number of episodes focus on the human stories set against the background of the monsters in our world, it was really good, man. I, I, I got to tell you, I loved it because as this young woman starts to unfold the mystery about her dad that loved her and her mother and all this kind of stuff, the whole time had a secret life where he had another wife and another child and neither of them knew about each other. And that's the Godzilla story. You, you'd think people would be out, but it's great. And then they go even further back to the girl's grandmother and all this kind of stuff. And when they first discover the Mutos and what brought them to our world in the first place, I got to tell you what, despite the fact that we had one scene with Godzilla and one scene with another Muto, I am already 100% on board with this show. I, I really loved what I saw. Does it have room for improvement? Yes. Is it only going to get better when we do start bringing in a few more monsters? Yes. But even if you take away the monsters, I'm hooked. I love the characters. I love the drama of it. So I'm on board. It's another winner for Apple for me. Ray, I know you saw the show too. You've been looking forward to this more than I have. Not a lot of monsters, and you're looking for well, a lot of monsters, but what did you think about the first two episodes? This, this seems like one of, like, I hate to bring it up again, Invasion, a slow burn sort of show. Do you hate to bring show. it up again? But this one's, this one's doing it good for me. I mean, it's doing it right for me. Because you see, like, the little, the little uh, sprinkles of, like, how life is in Japan right now. Yeah, I really like, like, like that the, a lot. The monster signs everywhere. Just seeing that and how their life has changed, like... Um, just gives me like, you know, like I, I can't wait to see what what they're going to do with this show. The conspiracy stuff with Monarch, like, um, um, you know, secrets from her, her father and all yeah. that stuff. And the opening with John Goodman, I thought was really great. And and the lead girl, I, I'm sorry. I, Your new crush? I, yeah, that's my new crush. What's Is that name? the future Anna? Mrs. Rayora? Well, no, it, only in my dreams, probably. <laughs> oh, I mean, most likely. <laughs> but yeah, this show, I can't wait. I got mad because I was watching um, the second episode in the studio, and I'm like, ah! And Jonathan's like, what, what, what happened? And I was like... I hate when words come up on screen because that means the episode's done. Physical like, credits. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I can't wait to see the next episode. I This is going to get jumbled with For All Mankind. I, I hate it. And I forgot For All Mankind had a new episode too, I, I think. so. And I missed that just for Godzilla. Now, what happens if I can arrange a dinner date with the lead girl from this show and she shows up in a trench coat? What happens then? I, I would probably stutter and then not <laughs> talk to her at all. I'll be like, um, yeah. You just have this even... expression right here. <laughs> yeah, that's just this expression. Yes, I'm saying. No, no, no. But it's really good. I, I, I love like the, the, the monarch thing. The whole monarch angle without the monsters is just crazy to me. Yeah, just... yeah. There's the whole. Again, I was really impressed with how much non-monster story 
actually works in the show. And and I'm down. So, Chris, I know you didn't have a chance to watch those no. episodes last night. Decisions yet. had to be made. I go to bed at 930. <laughs> Did you have where's your expectation level at right now for the show? What have you been hearing about it? I have been wildly hyped about this show and I'm hearing great things because even though this does have a humane series of stories connected to it, the monster is ever present. The threat of monsters and their presence in this world is ever present. And also just hearing that it is a very global kind of story again, too, where you do have this kind of huge interconnected series of events that happen with these monsters makes me happy as well. Because when you do tell me things like it's about someone's secret family, plus there's monsters. My first inclination is, oh, ew. But apparently they were able to strike the right chord here. So I am really excited to watch this this weekend. I'm pumped. And I, I love Kirkland, Captain America. I love Wyatt Russell. I'm very happy to see him in this. And I'm so glad to hear that he does a great job. He does. Actually, the, the whole cast is really quite good. Good. The whole cast is really it, good. It's great to see both of them. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to this, shall we? Speaking of new content that's come out, it's now in theaters. <laughs> the Hunger Games, a song. No, wait. The Hunger Games, a ballad of songbirds and snakes. A completely unnecessarily long title. It is the name of the book, John. Don't give a fuck. You could have changed the name of the title. Um, anyway, it's a dumb title. Even after watching the movie, it's a stupid title. So we've been hearing some pretty good things coming out. I've talked to a couple people who saw earlier screenings of it and absolutely loved it. I've read some people that I know online saying, eh, not so much. Uh, whatever. Last I checked, it had like a 60 plus something percent on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, what have you. So I went into it really interested because I, I'm not the biggest fan of the original Hunger Games movies, except for the second one. I think it was called Catching Fire. I loved that movie. I thought that one was great. Kind of mediocre on the rest of them, whatever. But the promotions and the marketing for this one had me very intrigued. And so it was with that feeling that I went off to go watch it. And I'll say this, I didn't really like it. There are some very good things about it. All right. Let me talk about the good things about it to start. Uh, some of the way they play out the drama is it makes you feel it. You do kind of feel the horror of this world where they are literally going to murder children for entertainment as a way of making a point or making a statement or whatever. And, and they do a good job, maybe even better than the original Hunger Games movies, to let you feel that kind of horror that you're in. And, and I get that. Also, I would be remiss if I did not talk about the performances. All the performances in this movie are incredible. Viola Davis as the game master creeped me the hell out. <laughs> I mean, obviously Viola Davis is going to be in it. Oh, Viola Davis is going to be brilliant. Well, of course she is. She's Viola Davis. But she brought a character to the screen unlike any character. She's played a lot unlike any character I've seen her perform before. And she instantly made me hate her and fear her and think she was cool all at the same time. And when you're able to do that, that's something else. Also under the no duh category is Peter Dinklage was great. Oh, and he was. Peter Dinklage was wonderful. It's not the biggest role in the movie. It's definitely a smaller supporting role, but it's a pivotal role. And he's at the beginning of the movie. He's at the end of the movie. 
he's just, he sells it. You feel it. He's so good in this. Uh, I loved him in this. But let me talk for a second about the leads. Tom Blythe, who's been in a lot, but I honestly have, don't know even if I've ever seen him. He's got a long resume. It's just that not a lot of stuff that a lot of us would be familiar with. I didn't know if this kid who I've not really seen much from, if anything, how well he's going to be able to come in and be a lead in a major motion picture like this. I cannot wait to see whatever he does next. I thought he was so good as Coriolanus. Is that how you say it? Coriolanus, yeah. Okay. Well, I know that anus is in his name. (laughs) Snow, he does such a great job channeling a younger Donald Sutherland and who is this person that becomes the monster president snow did a wonderful, I mean, I seriously, I, it's been a while since I've Uh seen a first exposure to somebody that I've been this taken with. He was great. I I really enjoyed him in it. Also, Rachel Ziegler. I look, I saw her in West side story. And like most people, that was the first time I ever saw her in anything. And I loved her in that. But is that a one-hit wonder? Couldn't really tell from her appearance in Shazam 2 because she, there wasn't much there and like for her to do and whatever. So, so that was an outlier. Could she come into another franchise and do something? She's awesome in this. And in case West Side Story didn't convince you that she is the best singer in Hollywood right now, this movie will finish the argument. She's the best singer in Hollywood. All due respect to the remarkable Haley... Haley... Bailey. Hallie? No. Haley. Haley Barry. Yeah. No. Is it? All due respect to the Little Mermaid, who's fantastic. Hallie Bailey. Bailey. My brain was freezing. Yes. But Rachel Ziegler is the best singer in Hollywood. It's just, she's got a charisma and she's going to have Oscars on her mantle. Not from this movie, but she's going to have Oscars on her mantle at some point. Now, I understand that. Uh, Rachel is a little bit of a polarizing figure right now because there are some grown men who don't like some opinions she has about a 1939 animated movie. Honestly, I don't know how big of a bitch your mom needed to raise for that to trigger you. But that being said, um, she's phenomenal. Also, none of that was original. Like, I've heard those statements made for like 20 years. So whatever. It is what it is. But my... Goodness, when you talk about a lot, how much some of the drama really worked, they set up the terror of the world and these across-the-board fantastic performances. Why didn't I like the movie? And it's a couple things that in other places wouldn't be that big of a deal, but it really stood out to me in this film. Number one, horrible pacing. Yep. Horrible pacing. Hard to agree on that. Yeah, I... I I just, they made like edit decisions and scene arrangement decisions and even some scenes that they felt that had to be in the movie that really didn't need to be there. And even some scenes that were important scenes, but they played out at such a dragging pace that I often just felt myself getting anxious. It's like, come on, like have something happen here. Do something, have an important conversation, do something here. And Connected with the pacing issue is this was a movie that was much longer than it needed to be. Um, 
to be honest with you. And for me, a very unsatisfying ending. You know how a lot of people say that there's like five different endings in Lord of the Rings Return of the King? Like, I kind of felt that a little bit in this movie too. Like, the movie really kind of should have ended not long after the Hunger Games ended. <laughs> but, and then they carried out to have this character resolution between the two leads that I found odd and very unsatisfying. And yeah, so despite, this is going to be one of those movies where there there's some really good high points about it. The building blocks were all there. For me personally, though, I don't plan on ever watching this movie again. I didn't hate it by any stretch, clearly, but in, in a recommend or don't recommend world, I, I'm kind of left saying I don't recommend it. It's just, and that makes it frustrating, Chris, when you have so many really good aspects and elements there, mm -hmm. you'd think it, it frustrates you even more when at the end of the day, you weren't really satisfied with the product. But anyway, that was me. Um, what did you think about Songbirds and Snakes? Tom Blythe is a star in the making. He is wonderful because my big issue going into this was why the hell would I care about this movie at all? Why would I care about what happened to President Snow when he was a teenager? I, he's a bad, bad man. I don't give a shit. And I found myself rooting for him in the beginning of this film of, oh my gosh, yes, I agree with this. Oh my gosh, I hope he gets this. Oh, I can see why he feels this way. I can totally empathize with him. But because of that uneven pacing, we have everything broken up into about three chapters in this. Particularly once we get to that third final chapter, act three, the pacing is so odd and the positioning of these characters is so out of left field that it doesn't feel natural. It feels so forced that if the whole point of this movie is for me to understand how he becomes who he is, why would you rush, rush some of the most important yeah. stuff about how he becomes this? Yeah. Why would you not under, like have him understand the consequences to certain actions? as he's thinking about doing certain things. It's just some of that. And I understand he's about 21 maybe in this, but, and, and I know I wasn't the brightest bulb in the, <laughs> the box when I was 21, still not, <laughs> but there's just certain things in the movie that are so, we have to do this for the sake of getting this to the trajectory we need it to go, that it didn't make sense though for these characters to make those choices. Um, and it left me at the end going, oh, so yeah, I didn't need this movie. Mm. And that's, that's a shame because there were some really great shining moments. Her singing is fantastic, especially those moments where she just has like that emotional hitch in her voice. Yeah. Um, it's really well done because honestly, this could have gone a very kind of Riverdale way of, oh, she's yes. going to sing her way out of some scenarios. Yes. Okay. And instead, it's this beautiful emotional stuff where you understand and what we talked about previously about how what this movie could do is, oh, if you are televising an atrocious event, how do you get your audiences to care about that atrocious event? Right. You manipulate them. You make them feel for certain people. Make you them have care. to root for people. Exactly. Which is the whole thrust of this film. And it's a really interesting commentary on how we present media, how we present competitions, how we present war and all of those things and propaganda as a whole. But then it all just kind of falls flat because of that. Um, I do also, though, want to talk about Jason Schwartzman in this movie. As the younger version of... Uh, yes. Uh, of, of Caesar's dad. Yes. I freaking loved him. His little one-liners and stuff. It, it's so jarring because something truly horrific will happen. And then he commentates and I, just chef's kiss for me on that. I thought, <laughs> I thought he was a delight. 
<laughs> Ray, I, you know, you were in the theater with me last hey, night. This movie is way too long. I'm going to cut you off right there. This movie, <laughs> this movie is way too long. Going straight into this movie from straight from work. I was planning to take a nap because I knew what what I, what I was in for. I was mid <laughs> mid halfway through the trailers. I was passing out already. But the crazy thing is, whenever I did wake up throughout the movie. There's a traumatizing visual on the screen with sounds. I really, I'm into true crime, seeing crime scene photos and stuff like that. But when it comes to kids brutalizing each other, I can't, I can't, I, I had to turn away. Some of the visuals in this that I woke up and saw was, uh, <laughs> I woke up and saw. was uh, they're, they're still in my head. So yeah. if, like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't like any of this. Any of what's going on in the Hunger Games? You know what? We should do a a, a reaction watch along of you watching Battle Royale. See, that's the thing. Okay, when I when I watched the first Watch Hunger Games, I had no idea of this Battle ro ro Royale. Royale. Yeah. So I liked the first Hunger Games just because the concept was so crazy to me. But as it kept going on and on, I I think I lost like my my interest in it. And that told it. I, I mean, it shows from last night. I nothing was keeping me awake in this film. But you know what? Anne loved it, and she said that. Oh yeah, that, my wife. Yeah, Anne, she, your sister, my wife, loved it. And loved there was the another person. As soon as I walked out, she's like, "That's the greatest movie ever." And she started talking about the book with her boyfriend or whatever, whoever she was with. So, hey, there's there's some fans of it. There's some people who are gonna like this movie. Oh, absolutely. Jim. I mean, like I said, the majority of critics like it. Yeah. Um, it's got a, a 91 audience on Rotten Tomatoes, 61% from the tomato meter. Um, my friend Jim read the book, too, and he was saying that the pacing of the book is very similar to this. Mm, of, yep. Oh, OK. That's what we're doing now. That's happening. So it's a it's a faithful adaptation. <laughs> All right, guys, with that down, let's move on to this, shall we? Uh, one of the films that was already in production and shooting when the writers or I'm sorry, the actor strike began and shut things down was not just Deadpool, but Venom 3 uh, was in production. Tom Hardy was sharing, you know, uh, set photos, and they were blasting through trying to get as much done as they could. Well, it didn't take long for them to get Venom 3 back up and running again because Tom Hardy is now posting on social media from the set of Venom 3 and a lot of consistency with the other images. This comes from the folks at Screen Rant. Who write, Sony's Venom 3 starts filming again after the SAG After Strikes concludes, and Tom Hardy shares a new set photo from the Marvel movie to celebrate. And here's the photo that they're talking about. Again, you see Tom Hardy, this is his Instagram account. Now, if I scroll down just a little bit more, you'll see if that shirt looks familiar, it's because that's the shirt he was wearing in the previous set photos that we saw from Venom 3. So we know this is a Venom 3, plus he kind of made a little Venom emoji and said Venom 3 in his comments as well. So they're back on set. They're filming again. There's still a lot we don't know about this movie. And I'm surprised how much they've been able to keep under wraps. Like there's some speculation going around right now that Venom 3 will actually tie a little bit more, show some very loose ties to the MCU and to the SSU, the Sony spider universe uh, that might even be some more ties there, but I, I haven't been able to find anything concrete to establish either of those. Now, of course, at the end of the one Venom movie, Venom sees Tom Holland Spider-Man and gets sucked into that world. And what was the payoff for that? 
a post-credit scene of just Tom Hardy at a bar saying, oh, okay, I guess I'm going back to my universe now. And boom, has gone. Fun little Easter egg. Not even an Easter egg. Fun little cameo. Yeah. But with how much excitement they generated at the end of the one minute when he went over. So are they going to piggyback on that, show some other connections? Are they going to tie him more into the bigger spider universe, which they have not really done yet in that in the SSU? They haven't really showed interconnection very much there yet. So we'll have to just wait and see. But Venom 3 still up and running. And listen, I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what nobody says. The first Venom movie is awesome. It's so I, fun. It's so fun. I, I still remember, I think, Ray, you were there with me the first time I, I watched Venom 3. And me, Ray, the whole audience, which is a blast. Yeah, it was a great movie. It was so fun. I like Venom 2. Didn't like it as much as uh, the first one. It has some problems, but I still had a good time with it. I'm, I'm very looking forward to Venom 3. Anyway, Chris, you saw it, what Tom Hardy posted. Uh, what do you think about them getting back into production? Because some other things that were in production when the actor strike happened still haven't managed to get back on set yet. Mm. So what do you think about them being able to do that? And what are you expecting from this movie? Well, it's a mad scramble right now. I've got some friends who work in coordination. And <laughs> go to London today. Go to London today. Figure it out. So uh, if you are in production, oh my gosh. Happy holidays. I wish you well. Poof. <laughs> I'm thrilled to see this back in production because I do love the Venom movies. I think they are wildly fun. I think they're super ridiculous. I love how Tom Hardy plays this character. I think it's just super, super great. I am interested in how we're going to have that payoff of the t-shirt though because you can't keep showing it to me and then not address those time jumps, multiverse jumps, et cetera. Right. So I don't know if we're going to have this story take place in between those moments, uh, before, after, that sort of thing. But I do think you have to pay it off if you're going to keep having him in the same outfit. Otherwise, we're going just like full 1990s Spider-Man cartoon kind of thing where everyone just wears the same outfit always. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're an X-Man. It yeah. It's like... <laughs> I'm always in this. Dazzler, when you ran away from home, you were wearing that. And two years later, you're still wearing still it. Still wearing it. Still wearing it. <laughs> Exactly. So I'm interested to see how it pays off. And that picture of Tom just looks so great too. He's just so happy to be back. Oh yeah. He, he, he looks like he's having a blast on there. That actually, it's good to see. Yeah, I, yeah, that, that, I that love Tom Hardy. So I hope this goes well. I, by the way, it comes out in less than a year. It's scheduled to come out November 8th, I believe. Chances we see Venom in the uh, Craven, the Hunter post credit. We always try to link them, and they don't ever link with Sony. Yeah, listen. But, but this this last Spider-Man 2 game, they were very... In yeah, the, but the right, game, the game and these movies yeah, are two but, separate things, you know right? Yeah. You're wrong, right? I mean, I remember after the first Venom movie, I mean, I remember we would speculate a lot about, man, listen, you do a version of this, of Craven, the... Not the greatest hunt, the, the biggest hunt, the... What's yeah. the name of the storyline again? Last the, Hunt. Last Hunt. I, I thought you make a movie with Craven the Hunter hunting Venom. Yeah. I said, that could be badass. And we speculated about that for a long time. It doesn't look that's what, like what we're getting. But I would be, listen, if you told me tomorrow or if a Sony exec called me and said, what do you think about us putting like a Venom post credit scene of Venom and Craven maybe encountering each other? I'd, I'd say, yeah, I'd love to see that. That would be fun. But I don't know. Listen, we first got to find out if this Craven movie is going to be any good. Craven has to first deal with the most dangerous game, a dad. <laughs> yes, that's the most dad dang. issues. Daddy issues is always big in this. And listen, I don't care what anybody says. I'm still looking forward to Craven. I I mean, I love um, the I love the idea of the character mm -hmm. in an a live action environment. Right. I love the idea 
I keep wanting to call kick-ass Thomas Hayden Church. Not Thomas Hayden Church. I would love Thomas Hayden Church to be. <laughs> That's very, very different actor. Um, uh, Aaron, Taylor, Aaron Taylor, Taylor Johnson. Johnson. Thomas Hayden Church, Aaron Taylor Johnson. I love his casting in it. There are things about the trailer that I did like. Some things that made me go, this might not be so good. There's so much for why in that trailer for me. <laughs> but we will find out. So let's see if that's any good before we start writing fan fiction about the crossover between it and Venom. Too late. <laughs> Too late. Already doing it. All right. Guys, we still need to talk about a couple of big things like Steven Yeun. Apparently, it's been confirmed that he is indeed going to play Sentry in the Thunderbolts for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Also, there was a report going around that Avengers 5 and 6 are now going to be a one and two parter with one director doing both. We're going to talk about that and a whole bunch more. But before we get to that, we're going to take just a second and thank a couple of sponsors of today's episode of the John Campus Show podcast, our friends at HelloFresh and Quip. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of this video, Quip. Guys, you know that good health starts with good habits and Quip makes it easy by delivering all the oral care essentials that you need to care for your mouth. For example, their incredible electric toothbrush. Guys, I've been using electric toothbrushes for years and this is easily the best one I've ever owned. Time sonic vibrations with 30 second pulses to guide a dentist recommended two minute clean. A lightweight and sleek design for adults and kids with no wires or bulky charger to weigh you down. Reusable handles in a range of sleek metal hues as well as bright plastic colors sure to make a pop on your bathroom counter. Skip the battery and snap into healthy habits with the new rechargeable electric toothbrush. All the features of the original Quip plus one magnetic charge powers up to three months of brushing. In addition to brush heads, Quip also delivers fresh floss, toothpaste, mouthwash, and gum refills every three months from just $7. So if you go to getquip.com campia right now, you'll get 20% off any electric toothbrush, mint and gum dispenser, or water flosser. That's your 20% off any electric toothbrush, mint and gum dispenser, water flosser at getquip.com slash campia. That's G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash campia. Quip, the good habits company. Guys, we want to take a second and thank a sponsor of this video, HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. And that's why it's America's number one meal kit. Guys, the holidays are right around the corner and HelloFresh can help take the stress out of dinner by delivering everything you need to cook up tasty meals right to your door, saving you tons of time. We all know the holidays can be hectic and that's that's where HelloFresh's 15-minute meals come in. These quick fixes help you get a wholesome meal on the table in less time than it takes to get delivery. I've told you guys many times before that Ann and I, being working professionals, often would struggle when it comes to dinner time, having time to put something that tastes good and is healthy for us in front of us. Well, HelloFresh, with their great delivery, pre-portioned ingredients, easy-to-follow instructions, has made dinner time a fun time. So go to HelloFresh.com slash CampiaFree and use the code Campia free for breakfast for life. One breakfast item per box while subscription is active. That's free breakfast for life at HelloFresh.com slash Campia free with the code Campia free. And thank you to our friends at HelloFresh and Quip for sponsoring today's episode of the John Campia Show podcast. All right, guys, that down. Let's talk about this, shall we? Some time ago, uh, rumors started going around that Walking Dead actor and lead voice actor in Invincible, Stephen Yun, was going to possibly be playing the character The Sentry. 
in the upcoming Thunderbolts movie for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which did a couple of things. One, it got Ray very excited because that might be Ray's favorite character in all of Marveldom. <laughs> He's very excited about, about that. About that junkie? <laughs> but, uh, and, and I like the idea too, but to me it was like a little curious. It's like, what's anybody who's in the Thunderbolts going to do to that? Because for those of you who don't know, just to give you an example of just how powerful this character is, there's a iconic comic book storyline called World War Hulk, where basically, just to sum it up, Hulk's real mad and decides he's going to take out everybody. And the entire Marvel hero roster goes up against him and he decimates everyone. And that storyline comes down to the world turns to the century to be the one to go and take on Hulk. And that fight ends in a draw, basically. And that's how powerful this character is. So it's like I was asking, well, what what is anybody in the Thunderbolts going to do against that? There's a great image from it. What's anybody in the Thunderbolts going to do against this guy? But still, whatever. Well, we mentioned that Steven was in The Walking Dead and he was the lead voice in Invincible, both done by uh, Robert Kirkman. Mm-hmm. Well, Robert Kirkman has apparently accidentally maybe or then didn't care, kind of confirmed to the world that, yeah, that's who Steven's going to be playing. This comes from the folks over CBR where uh, Kirkman was being interviewed and he said this, my good friend Steven Yunus is playing the century in a movie, Kirkman said. <laughs> yeah, he called me. He went in for a costume fitting. I hope I'm not. I don't think this is a spoiler or anything that will get anybody in trouble. I don't know. Maybe. We'll see. I don't care. I don't work for Marvel. Jeez. What are they going to do to me? Nice. <laughs> Obsessed. Yeah. This guy speaks from the brainstem. Oh, my God. So, uh, yeah. So, that I mean, this isn't coming from some second AD on a set. This is coming from Kirkman, who's saying this. So, I guess it's a done deal. He's playing Century, right? This is for real. For real. Like that. I, I didn't see that quote. I didn't see any of the story. So he just said, okay, this is happening. Oh, this yeah. This is great. I mean, I, I'm just surprised that they even picked the Century to be in a movie. You're or honored. Or a part of a movie. You're, you're so, basically honored. So, yeah, I, I can't wait. It was all wait. for Ray. I can't wait to see this accidental superhero. Yeah, and he up. is an accidental superhero. Yeah, he was like, looking for some drugs. Yeah, yeah, basically and trying to score and get high. Yeah. And he's so the most powerful character in the, in the, the Marvel Universe. If you paid attention to your D.A.R.E. program, you too can become a superhero. <laughs> There's also a really interesting aspect to this character. By the way, we did a video, if you look in our editorials. I was going to bring it up yeah. seven uh, yeah, months ago. ago. Yeah. That Chris uh, was one of the main yeah. writers on that. Uh, basically explaining the character, but a really interesting aspect to Sentry is that one of the things he constantly has to do is there is another entity that's a part of his personality called the Void. And basically at all times, he has to keep that creature, that being, that entity from coming out because basically the Void will destroy everything. All galaxies, all universes, everything, like just existence ceases if the void comes out, right? So, and that's how much power is in this dude. That's exactly how much power is inside him. Again, how do you work that into the Marvel Cinematic Universe? The first thing is that, well, they are clearly going to depower him a bit. Oh, yeah. yeah I mean, because you just, you can't. Yeah. You, you Like, you, you can't have a character 
that powerful. Whose power is that of a million suns? Yeah, and that's how they describe it in the yeah. comics. The power of a million suns. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty strong. That's pretty strong. <laughs> and yet still a draw with Hulk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and still, I mean, yeah, well, Hulk is- a million is, and one suns. Theoretically, <laughs> with the right writers- like Hulk in the comics has no theoretical limit to his power. Like, it, like there's no theo- theoretical limit to his power. But I, I am very interested in seeing what they do with this character, particularly if they maintain his origin story. Like that's I'm I'm very <laughs> interested to see if they maintain his ori- origin story. And Harrison Ford is in the Thunderbolts, right? Yes. He's in a, Harrison and, Ford is playing Thunderbolt. He's playing Red Hulk. The Red Hulk maybe coming I, out. I I have my doubts that they're going to have Red Hulk. I have my doubt. I'm not saying I've heard that he's not. I'm not definitively saying he's not. I'm just saying right now I have my doubts, but we'll see. We'll see. Because that could be a threat like an unto you needs somebody like the Sentry to then come. Or, or is the Sentry more like, um, uh, why am I freezing on the name of the character in Guardians of the Galaxy 3? Uh, not Nova, oh, but... Uh, the oh, 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 oh. What's that? Uh, the, Adam the, Warlock. Adam Warlock. Okay. Thank you. So maybe he's plays an Adam Warlock kind of character that is a little misguided at first and super powerful and then comes around. I mean, I don't know which approach they're going to take with him. Anyway, Chris, it's 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 official now. I mean, it's, this is as confirmation as you're going to get. Kirkman has just revealed that that's who's playing. How do you feel about this? I loved watching this clip so much. Of I don't work for Marvel. And <laughs> <laughs> in, in a world where every interview with somebody who's near Marvel does that, well, I don't want to get Marvel darted, so I don't know what I can say. I love that Robert Kirkman was just like, who gives a shit? <laughs> I don't care. I think this is great. We've been talking about this for ages about how we thought this is who Steven was going to be playing, which is very very exciting relatively new comic character too in terms of comic book length because he came about in 2000. And I think this kind of character is a really interesting one to put into the fold too. Somebody who has addiction issues accidentally takes this. If they don't have Harrison Ford though, go up to him and go, so Robert, you thought you were taking drugs, but they switched the samples and instead (laughs) you got super soldier serum. If they don't do that, what are we doing here? They diluted and messed up super soldier serum. (laughs) Exactly. They got to do something. Let Harrison Ford do what he does best. Point. You you know, Century has been divided. A lot of the comic book fans have been very divided on this character. And I happen to be on the side that I like him. Imagine if they, you know, Watch this up. Well, all I mean, the I hate think we can all imagine more that. hate, and then, oh man, because it's just because the character is literally so powerful. I mean, I don't know that there's a superpower that they haven't implied that he has. I mean, he's he can't die, uh, so he's yeah. he can resurrect. He can. I mean, I, there's even some mental powers and yep. stuff like that. Oh I mean, yeah, oh, he yeah. can do everything. Yeah, he's a petri dish. Of of superpowers all kind of mashed into one thing, and I could see how that would be very divisive among. They're going to have to streamline it because a lot of it too just doesn't make sense for film, right? Some powers where it's just like I'm going to do this because I can. We've got to have a little bit of bullshitty science in there, at least. So, so do you think he's going to be the villain of this movie? What's the chances? I here's like I said, they could go an Adam Warlock direction where it, like they did used him in Guardians of the Galaxy 3 where he's a bad guy at first but eventually he comes around you could the, again the problem is what what is anybody in the Thunderbolts going to do against this guy if if like if you just set him up as the villain what do you do I mean there's 
I mean, maybe there's a role reversal. Maybe a lot of us who are assuming that, you know what, Harrison Ford's Thunderbolt Ross is going to become bad Red Hulk. But what if Harrison Ford becomes big bad Red Hulk to be a good guy and stop Sentry? That's what I was thinking, mm-hmm. too. I mean, I think he's going to be heroic. I think he's going to be a hero, but I, I don't know. I think we need to start looking at some of these castings, too, in terms of antagonist versus protagonist as yeah. opposed to hero and, and villain. villain. Right. Yeah. Because a lot of these two, uh, going back to, I know it's apples and oranges, but going back to what we were talking about yesterday with Superman, right? The authority aren't necessarily villains, yep. but they are in Superman's way in terms of their ideologies. Yep. So I think that's one of the things that we're going to see a lot of exploring going forward with both DC and Marvel. And I think particularly here with Sentry of, well, you're not a villain, but also you're not doing the right things or the orderly things we need to, or you have this other side of you that can come out and fuck shit up. Well, of course, some members of the authority in the do become have gone on. To they have gone to become incredibly yeah. villainous, but in theory, right? They're usually just antagonistic. So yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see. Do they? I mean, so the big questions: Do they depower him, and if so, by how much? Do they? bring in the aspect of the void? Do they introduce that or do they just ignore that for now? Is he going to be more on the protagonist side or the antagonist side? Um, If so, how does Thunderbolt Ross being played by Harrison Ford come in? Does Red Hulk become an issue then? Because you need somebody who's got to go toe-to-toe with him. I mean, I don't know. So many questions this brings up, but at least now we know who, in fact, he is playing. All right, guys. With that down... Let's move on to this, shall we? You know, a big topic of conversation around the movie fan world obviously is going to be about Avengers 5 and Avengers 6. It's the biggest franchise in film history, blah, 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 blah. Now, a lot of question marks have come up recently because there's been some rumors and some reports. Again, the author of the MCU book that just came out is saying that she's been told directly by Marvel sources that they are moving on from the Kang storyline. And that the end of Loki season two seemed to suggest they were done with Kang. There are other reports coming out now saying, no, 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 no. Marvel may not be done with Kang yet. Kang may still be the big bad guy. Okay, so so there's still a lot of questions about that. Are they swapping out Kang for Doom? Is Kang going to still be in there? If he is still in there, is it going to be played by Jonathan Majors? Are they going to recap? I mean, a lot of question marks still regarding that. But what we do know for fact is that... uh, Destin, who was going to be directing Avengers 5, which the last we heard was going to be called Avengers Kang Dynasty, is no longer directing the film. He's going to stay on focusing with Shang-Chi 2. We know that the writer of the film, Jeff Loveness, is no longer attached to that film and that they are making changes. And that's where a lot of the whispers came that they're changed from the Kang storyline. However, a new report that has come out is suggesting that they're actually going to make these two Avengers films a part one and a part two, and they're, that Kevin Feige is now looking to get one director to helm them both. And it's coming from somebody we know quite well, Jeff Schneider. Anyway, this comes just from the folks over at Comic Book who write, Marvel Studios will now begin the search for another filmmaker to take charge of the ambitious MCU event movie, and it sounds like whoever does take the gig is going to be very busy for the next few years. According to Jeff Snyder, Kevin Feige ideally wants the same director for both, the Kang Dynasty and Avengers Secret Wars, which is essentially a quote-unquote two-parter. Snyder has also heard that a title change may be imminent. It now seems clear that Marvel will take steps to veer away from the planned Kang storyline 
either replacing Jonathan Majors as the villain or ditching the character altogether and shifting focus to another multiverse saga, big, bad, possibly Doctor Doom. And hopefully wrapping up the multiverse saga. Uh, at least I can hope. All right. This deepens the question a little bit about are they indeed moving away from the Kang storyline? Because if they are now streaming streamlining these two films as more of a single story in two parts, and if they are indeed going to bring in one director to helm both, and if they are indeed, as Jeff is suggesting, going to be changing the title of Kang Dynasty any minute now, that would all seem to suggest that those reports about them moving away from the Kang storyline might be true. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. We'll find out soon enough. I do like the idea, though, of bringing in one director or one set of directors to come in and helm the two films. It'll just give them a nice uh, a continuity in DNA, a continuity in style, a continuity in substance. And it allows one director or set of directors to come in and kind of plan it out as one larger overarching story. Uh, maybe even a little bit more so than Infinity War and Endgame was because those are two very different movies, actually, Infinity War and Endgame. Th that being said, I like this idea very much of the idea of bringing in, but who will that director be? Who will it be? It's obviously not going to be Destin. Um, I don't think they're going to pull Matt Shackman away from Fantastic Four to do it. By the way, you know how we talked about uh, the Godzilla Monarch show a little bit earlier in today's episode? Yeah, those first two episodes directed by Matt Shackman. He directed both of them. Um, uh, Gray Fox 40 in the chat has a great suggestion. Martin Scorsese. I mean, that, I mean, that's, <laughs> give us cinema. Come on. I mean, finally, cinema comes to the Avengers. Um, so, yeah, listen, I, I like this idea. I think it would work out. And now we just got to find out for sure. You know what? I, I don't think this is something we're going to find out about in February, March or April. I think by Christmas, we're going to get like Kevin Feige making definitive announcements Ooh. about, you know, hey, Avengers 5 is now, if they cross out Kang Dynasty, it's now, you know, what is it? The backdoor spreader? Is that what you called it, Ray? It's whatever <laughs> it's going to be. She. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I think we're going to get some definitive answers there soon. But again, in principle, I like the idea of one director. Anyway, Chris, you're hearing about this. Mm -hmm. First of all, how likely do you think this is the scenario? And if so, is that the right thing to do? What are the pros? What are the cons? How do you see it? Definitely could see them doing a two-parter. It worked very well with the whole endgame scenario. That obviously had great payoff. And we are looking to kind of have lightning strike twice, right? We want to rebuild that model. That being said, Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars narratively don't necessarily tie together. Secret Wars, and forgive me, comic fans, not one of my favorites because it's kind of goofy in a way of just like we're on battle world and all of you are going to fight <laughs> i'm victor von doom i don't see what's um, wrong with that i mean it's a fun story but <laughs> from a from a big narrative epic event kind of thing it's one of those kind of summer annuals that you go yeah okay it's everybody in there neat neat Kang doesn't really have any purpose in that one the beyonder kind of plucks a living Kang out of a timeline and plops him in there but other than that Kang's not really involved, at least in the, the story from the 1980s. So 
I feel like if they're doing a two-parter, that means King Dynasty is getting real pushed out and we're focusing a lot on Secret Wars. Then I want to know, what are we doing with it aside from, hey, this is a battle world scenario where people are pitted against each other. What narratively is happening here that's going to move us forward? And is this an event that then ties in all these different multiverses, right? We're bringing in the X-Men from over here. We're bringing in these folks from over here. And then we're going to have that sacred timeline where they all exist and everyone's 616 now. That's what I assume they would do here. I'm just not sure about how these two particular movies get pushed together. But it does give them the opportunity to completely Jetsons Kang, basically. Which would be interesting to do. There's also one thing that I think we as fans need to keep in mind is that so far, no Marvel film that has had a title resembling a title from a comic book storyline has, has ever really like stuck all that close to the comic storyline. Sure. Like whether you're looking at the age of Ultron or whether you're looking at civil war or whether you're looking at, even if you go into the X-Men title stuff, the days of future past, none of them stick very closely to what the original source material was, right? They all, they take, they take um, influence. They take inspiration from those stories and maybe even some plot points, but they ultimately always build their own movie around it. Mm -hmm. So, whether or not a Secret Wars will have a battle world or some other thing like that, don't know. But if it does end up like you're suggesting, Chris, that all this multiverse stuff gets brought into one sacred timeline, just this, I would, th then I'll pop bottles. I'll mm -hmm. be super thrilled if they finally do away with the multiverse nonsense and bring it back into one reality and start telling some real stories again. Mm -hmm. I would be. Very, very happy about that. Yeah. I think that would be great. All right, guys. With that down, we're now going to move on and start taking your thoughts on all this kind of stuff, your comments and questions. What do you guys have to say? Now, before we get to that, though, we're just going to take one more quick minute and thank another sponsor of today's episode, actually the main sponsor of the John Campbell Show YouTube channel, my mobile service provider, and they should be yours, Mint Mobile. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's video, Mint Mobile. Signing your life away to a big wireless provider is kind of like being trapped on a roller coaster from hell. Sure, it looks like fun at first. They probably even threw in a free phone, but now you can't get off. Month after month of insane bills and unexpected thrills, like overages and surprise fees. If that sounds like your current big wireless plan, it's time to get off the ride with Mint Mobile. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are just $15 a month. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for just 15 bucks a month. You guys know before, I came to Mint Mobile, I was paying triple what I am paying now on the standard big wireless plan, and I will never go back. All plans come with unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get your new unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped right to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com campia. That's mintmobile.com dot com slash campia cut your wireless bill to just 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash campia and thank you what <laughs> sorry huh yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're multitasking oh, sometimes they talk yeah, yeah. i think that kind of came through thank you so much to mint mobile for sponsoring today's episode of the john campy show podcast all right guys with that down let's <laughs> let's go on to your stuff here shall we chris what do we got up first we are starting with CJ Rebirth. Had a great time with Trolls 3. I just love the chemistry between Justin and Anna. Also loved the new Hunger Games. Tom Blythe and Rachel Zegler nailed it. I agree that, the, you know what the funny thing is, as we were walking in to the building 
the the theater building. So we were still outside, walking along the side of the building, getting ready to go in front doors. We could hear this loud music coming through the wall. And Anne said, is that the Eras tour playing? And it's like, oh no, it was Trolls 3 playing. Yeah, I, I listen, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I don't care about Trolls. I don't. If Anne wanted to see it, because, you know, my wife Anne used to be a big and over at uh, Hasbro and Trolls was one of her properties. And so if, if Anne had any desire to go see Trolls 3, I would go. I would totally go because, you know, but she hasn't said she wants to go see it. So I'm probably going to take a pass on. You're right. Uh, Rachel and Tom in the film were gave great performances. I wish I liked the film overall, though, like you did. I didn't, but I'm glad you did, man. All right. What's next? From HV3, what do you think of the NFL season so far? Glad you've asked. <laughs> a lot of injuries, especially to quarterbacks. Even Burrow went down last night. Even Burrow? Even even Burrow, but I but it didn't sound, it didn't look serious. I no, think no, no, he, no, 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 no. Uh, I just got breaking news on what's that? ESPN. He's going to miss the remainder of the season. Was he was still throwing the ball on the sideline a little bit. No, I just saw. Do think it's that bad? Yeah. Well, you know, come on. Let's let's rest up. We'll get him next year. Who is Burrow and who does he play for? He's a quarterback. He's a, a young, incredibly gifted, highest paid player in the NFL, actually. Oh, wow. Joe Burrow on the uh, on the Cincinnati Bengals. We're on Ray's Cincinnati oh, Bengals. Oh, Ray, I'm sorry. Oh, it's okay. Oh, it's him? Oh, she's, she's holding up <laughs> a figure he's got of Jeff Burrow right now. Uh, I think it's been a wild season so far. It's a tough game. I mean, it's. I never would have pegged that the Eagles would be at first place in the league right now. I never would have believed that the Bills would just be like five and five. Or whatever they're they're at right now, um, it's it's kind of been a crazy season. I've been liking it. All right, what's next? From Raymond Verada. Oh, another HV three. Has anyone seen the holdovers yet? Paul Giamatti is amazing in it. I love small movies like this where it's basically three characters talking in a room. Um, well, I mean, it's it's not all in a room. I mean, it's like it's a, there are multiple sets in this movie. Right, right. Uh, I, I got to tell you, I, I really love this movie. I, I, I thought it was great. It, Paul movies. Paul Giamatti is great. I don't know the name of the kid, who, who, but he plays off Paul Giamatti. Wonderful. It is a great human story. Kind of a sad ending um, that talks about, you know, one of the themes that I don't think movies touch on enough is the actual importance of human connection. And every once in a while when a movie comes out that really does kind of highlight that, which is something that The Holdovers does. And with, again, a bit of a sad ending, but also beautifully uplifting at the same time. Anyway, um, that has to be carried by great performances. And they gave it. I, I really enjoyed the movie a lot. All right, what's next? From Raymond Verratta. Stephen Yun is the king of the nerds now. Glenn, invincible, now sentry. Yeah. Ray is happy now. Will he dress up in tight yellow spandex with the big S? I have no doubt that he would if he could find a costume. Yeah, I'm just happy that he he they said that he was uh, trying uh, trying on a costume. Oh yeah, they was already going in for his costume fittings. That means they've already got the costume. Yep. Well, well, I know, mean, there's, already- a, there's another Sentry that's out right now. He's all, he's red. He has dark hair. I don't know if they're going to tap into that one, that version of the century. Who knows? Yeah. The rest of the Robert Kirkman clip says that he was talking about, oh, man, all my superheroes are always blue and yellow. Oh. Huh? So, I Could think be. Oh, I mean, now, Robert didn't say way. he saw the costume, yeah. though. He was saying that's what Steven told him. All right. Mm. Hearsay. All right, what's next? From um, Demarius Love, sending in a $20 super chat. Oh, thank you, thank Dem- Demarius. This super chat is dedicated to you, Ray, because your boy Bob is in the Thunderbolts. 
<laughs> I, you so know, happy. you know what, you know what's crazy. If if I'm not sure if he's gonna have a big role, but I could also see him like just having a small role, and at the end, maybe they lock him up because that's where I was first introduced to the the Sentry was in the new New Avengers comic, and he was in the raft, and they oh. busted him out, and his very first move was he took Carnage up halfway up into the sky, and he ripped him in half, and I was like. Who is this dude? So I went, so I went all the way back and read everything, and I, I'm like, okay, let's get on this junkie, junkie train, and uh, let's, uh, yeah. yeah, there he is, right there, there he is. That's the, that's the, um, that's the re-release, I think, or like the reboot, or whatever. The they stopped writing him for a little bit, and then they came out with a reborn. All right, century reborn. What's next? From Nexus Fuel, have you seen the trailer for the new TED series on Peacock? The joke about which streaming platform they're on is pretty funny. Um, I'm not going to pretend that I'm super excited for this show. Like, I love Ted 1, didn't love Ted 2, but it always has its moments. And for if did you see the trailer, Chris? I have not. There's He does this great joke where it's like, Ted in 1993, and he's writing a letter to his future self. Mm-hmm. And then it jumps to present with Ted reading the letter from his past self and goes... I, and, and I'm paraphrasing because I can't remember word for word because the show's going to be on Peacock. Mm-hmm. It says, I bet sometime in the future we're going to have a great show on the biggest and best streaming platform in the world. And Ted in the future cuts to Ted in the future going, well, we've got a show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well um, it's, it's actually, I mean, nothing from the show is in the trailer. It's just the conversation between past Ted and present Ted. Aww. And it's pretty funny. I got to admit it was pretty funny. I liked it. All right, what's next? From YT Pump Life. Scarlet, which versus our Captain Marvel, who wins? It all depends on who's writing it. I mean, we've had Kevin Feige say several times that Captain Marvel is the most powerful character in the MCU. But then they've done some things to suggest otherwise. You know, when you've got Scarlet Witch taking out, like, all the sorcerers, so I get that's pretty damn powerful. So, I mean, if I'm writing it, I think the Carol Danvers Captain Marvel wins if I'm writing it. But I would, I mean, they're, they are probably the two most powerful characters since they've neutered Hulk. I mean, Scarlet Witch was on the verge of killing Thanos if he didn't rain down fire from his ship. Right. Well, I mean, but that counts. I mean, whatever you got to do to win a fight. But yeah, yeah she no, no, I'm just took saying she had the power to do it. But, you know, but Brie Larson's Captain Marvel was going toe to toe with him. Um, and what it, she did in the Marvels is crazy. It was like, that's Sentry-like right there where she's just ripping through the... Yeah, know. going through that. And she's able to fly into a sun. I mean, so, I, I mean, I don't know. It's a good question. It's a good question, but I don't think we're going to find it because I don't think we're going to see Scarlet Witch again. All right, what's next? From Mavis the Reaper. I am for Doom in Secret Wars comic where Doom becomes God Emperor Doom. Yep. One of the strongest to exist, taking the power of the Beyonders. So hyped. Yeah, but remember again, I just want to, I always, whenever a new comic movie is coming out that that has the namesake of a popular comic storyline, I always just caution everybody, they never really follow it all that much. So uh, all I would say is, if they keep the Secret Wars thing and they move forward with that, don't start expecting specific plot points that happen in the comic book story to necessarily be here because that hasn't been the track record. Some will, some won't. I'm just saying, make sure, don't let your expectations get too high. All right, what's next? From Sean in 3D. 
Hey, Campia crew. What if the MCU gives Hulk Banner a wife and then somehow Scar and Hulk's wife dies and World War Hulk happens? Your thoughts? Hard emoji. Well, <laughs> sure, but you can't, there's no way to do that quickly. I mean, you gotta understand, World War Hulk that I mentioned earlier is the follow-up to something called uh, uh, Planet Hulk. Yeah. yeah. It, to a storyline called Planet Hulk, yep. where basically... The, the Illuminati, which are like the big heroes on Earth that consist of like Reed Richards, Doctor Strange, T'Challa, Charles Xavier, uh, Black, Bolt. I, Black Bolt, and is Namor one of them? Yeah, Namor's yeah. one. Namor's one. So they have this group called the Illuminati, and they made the decision that Bruce was just, Hulk is just too powerful. Yep. He's too dangerous. Too dangerous, too volatile. And they decide to exile him off Earth. He ends up on Sakaar, on ba on this battle planet that was shown in Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. Uh, he ends up there, is a slave gladiator, ascends to become king, falls in love, has a child, and then a nuclear blast goes off that kills his wife, his child, like everything, he loses everything. And he decides, I'm going back to Earth because he blames the Illuminati. He thinks the Illuminati set off the nuke. And he decides, yeah, I think I'm going to go back to Earth and wipe everyone out. Oh, man. Take them all out. Oh. And he goes and ain't nobody can stand in it. He's ripping through everybody, right? But to do that, you've got to set up, you've got to make, make it, you can feel Bruce's pain. And... I'm I'm sorry, but family picnic Hawaiian shirt Hulk, they're they've got this Hulk now so far removed from from actually having a real Hulk anymore. I just don't see how you come back. I don't I see how you come back. I, I would love to see. They they probably can't do it in the live action. I I wouldn't mind even seeing it in an animated version. There is yeah. an animated version. Well, there's an animated World version World of Planet Hulk. Hulk. I don't yeah, think they did World an animated version of World War yeah, Hulk yeah. though. All right, what's next? From the philosopher's take, we often look at the writing, directing, editing, or even acting when a movie is bad. What role do, you, do producers play in the quality of a movie, if any? Bad money. Bad money. Well, I mean, no, listen, some, it, it, it all depends on how much creative input the producer gives themselves. Like, the producer is ultimately the one responsible for the movie, right? I mean, we always say that the most important person on any movie set is the director. That's true. But... The person ultimately responsible for a film overall is the producer. That's why when they give out Best Picture at the Academy Awards, they hand it to the producer. And not one of the 17 executive producers, associate producers, uh, whatever, but like the producer, right? And I mean, ultimately, we give most blame for a bad movie on the director. And, and we should, because we also give the director the most credit when the movie's good. But really, at the end of the day, it's the producer who is the one responsible for pulling the whole film together, picking and selecting the director, like letting them know what direction you want this film to go in, like all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of blame to go around, but the producer should get some of it for sure. But I mean, at the same time, the producer can say, hey, we've got a great story here and hires a, a really good looking director and gives the director a lot of freedom to go, and then they botch the movie, then it's not really the producer's fault. But it, like every movie is a unique situation. All right, what's next? From Christ Courage. This movie gave me chill the chills like the book did with The Hanging Tree. We'll definitely see multiple times. Again, I, I think we are going to hear that, like remember, for a movie I don't like, there's a lot of things in it that I liked, right? 
Um, so I can totally see why some people are enjoying it. I'm glad that you did. And I think they're, you're not going to be alone. Like Chris mentioned, right, right now it's got like a 91% audience yeah. rating. The majority of the critics like it. I think I'm going to end up in the minority on this. I Just the things that didn't work for me really stood out and made really hurt my overall experience, but maybe it won't for some others. All right, what's next? From Adit, breaking news, Joe Burrow out for the year with a torn ligament. Is the AFC a race between Chiefs Ravens? I'm, I, I am not a believer in the Chiefs this year. I'm not a believer in the Chiefs this year. I think they can beat mediocre teams and bad teams. But I think if they run into the San Francisco 49ers or if they run into the Eagles or if they run it, I think they get stomped. And so who in the, in the AFC can maybe be that team to them? I'm not really sure, but right now I don't see them. Like, I think Lamar Jackson rips their defense apart. Like I, I, so right now, Baltimore looks like the class of the AFC. They do. All right. What's next? From Kyler Hodick, sending in a $20 super chat. One of my favorite horror films is Mike Flanagan's Hush. Now that it's no longer on Netflix, there's no legal way to watch it. It was never released digitally or on physical media. I'm worried that this is the future. That is, and by the way, you put in a $20 super chat. Thank you so much for that. That is something we were talking about the other day. That I'm in the, in the physical versus digital debate. It has often been owning discs or buying your movies on services like iTunes or Google Play or stuff like that. And that's fine. But I think, and I said this on the show the other day, that we're both screwed. Because I think the real future is they're just going to make it so nobody can actually, you don't buy a copy of anything. You, you watch it on a streaming service or you don't. And that will mean that when a streaming service decides to take down a movie because it's costing them money without making any money, and I understand that, that's business, but now it's nowhere for somebody to watch if they wanted to watch it. So that's why I believe that the studios should get together and create a repository streaming service that would have to be in partnership with like the guilds, like the Actors Guild, the Writers Guild, Directors Guild, all that kind of stuff, where they all agree, okay, listen, we don't want this movie on any of our streaming services. Okay, so let's put it on this new streaming service we all get behind. We charge a minimal fee to people to subscribe to it. That's just enough to cover our, I mean, listen, the administration costs of a streaming service are actually in the billions, but still, we'll charge a minimum cost to cover administrative costs. All the actors and directors and writers agree we take no licensing fees and we take no residuals from when it's on the repository. And nobody's making any money for it, but it's there. And if people want to watch the stuff that the regular streaming services don't want, then it's there that they can watch it. It would take a ridiculous amount of coordination, a ridiculous amount of cooperation between all the studios and all the guilds. But if they could, I think that's the ideal outcome. I just don't know if that, that'll ever happen. All right, what's next? From uh, Christopher Brickner, Napoleon and the Hunger Games prequel reviews are worse than I thought with a lower Rotten Tomatoes rating than I thought it would have. With Napoleon, I mean, after seeing the movie, the Hunger Games one is right around where I think it makes sense for it to be. Anywhere between like 45 and 65 I could totally see that movie falling in there with Napoleon. I, I mean, it looks great to me, 
But listen, the reality is this, and I know it's sacrilegious, but Ridley Scott doesn't have it anymore. <gasps> Whoa. Whoa, bro. You take out, take out The Martian, which is brilliant. How many great films does he have in the last 15 years? Robin Hood? The Counselor? The Last Duel? House of Gucci? I, I mean, and by the way, I, I liked House of Gucci. I didn't like <laughs> super love it. But I, I didn't like The Last Duel. I mean, I mean so he went, he went like a, a big string of years just turning out a lot of subpar films. And then out of nowhere, he was back with The Martian. And the Martian was incredible. Yeah. And maybe there's another one good one in there somewhere. But honestly, since then, not not much. And prior to that, not much. I, I don't know that really Scott has it anymore. He's going to go. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer director. No doubt. 100%. His legacy is secure, period. Doesn't matter what crap he produces from now on. His legacy is secure. He's one of the greats. But I don't know that he's got it anymore. So I'm not really terribly surprised to see that the critics are, I mean, I'm disappointed. I think it looks great. I can't wait to see Napoleon. It's the number one most anticipated I have for the movie I have for the rest of the year. Just slightly ahead of um, Wonka, which I'm also very excited to see. But I, I'm not surprised. Uh, who knows? Maybe I'll love the movie. You I hope know, I do. I'll save a seat for you right here on this minus one train right here. Well, hey, I'm looking forward to seeing Godzilla minus one. Just not as much as Wonka or Napoleon. That's all. All right. What's next? From uh, Perfect Image. I believe the Kane story, not over the Doom, Dr. Doom. Kang. Kang. Thank you. I was like, Kane? Who? So I believe the Kane story, not over. over then I, I don't understand the I think Because we have two stories going on right now. One is that they're moving on from Kang, and the other one is, oh, they're just reworking. Yeah, it. but I just don't understand the wording of that yeah. sentence. Yeah, like, I think what, he's just saying that he, he, he believes it's not over. Yeah, okay, then he believe, yeah. and which okay. is very possible, right? There's some sources sure. out there saying they're going to stick with Kang. There's some other pretty reliable sources saying they're moving on from Kang. I, I mean, I right now, I believe that they're moving on from Kang. Like, when you look at the ending of Loki Season 2, the stories about them now streamlining the one storyline... I believe, but I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they do stick with the Kang storyline, yeah. which is fine. All right, what's next? Sorry, guys. You got to help me with spelling and punctuation because I'm Ron Burgundy, right? Otherwise, <laughs> what it is what it in is. Front of me. Yeah. Disgraceful Entertainment. I might be crazy, but I'm pretty sure the shirt he's wearing is the same shirt from the post credit scene from No Way Home, so maybe the movie starts off like that. It's just, he's been wearing that shirt a lot on the set. Like almost every time set photos came out, it's that shirt combination he's wearing. So I don't know if it's connected or not. Maybe that's yes, maybe no. Shirt. We'll see. For Venom, that's the official shirt. The that's official the Venom shirt. All right, what's next? From, uh, oh, Zelda Master 702 sending in a $20 super Thank chat. you, Zelda Master. I need to say as someone who read the book, this is a very true adaptation to the book, pacing included. I can see you all feeling the way you do, but you'll be surprised how it impacts watching the other films going forward. Will I, Zelda Master? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like, and this is why, like, whenever I always, I've always had this opinion. It's always been the unpopular opinion. Sticking as close to the source material is not a virtue. 
right? I, I, I made up a saying before, but I stick with it. The number one job of a filmmaker, particularly of a filmmaker who's adapting some kind of material, is the number one job is not to be as faithful to the source material as possible. That's not the job. The job is to make the, mess, the best movie possible. And a lot of times, some things that work in a book or work in a comic or work in an original TV show or something like that will not necessarily work as well in a motion picture. And you got to be able to know when you should adapt and what types of things you should adapt to make it a better motion picture. And so, yeah, everybody gets mad at me when I say, no, the job of the director or the filmmakers is not to be as faithful as possible to the source material. Because not all source material that works great in a book will necessarily translate well to a screen. It needs to be adapted, played around with a little bit, stuff like that. So um, if people who read the book and love the book like that they kept it faithful, great. As someone who did not read the book, though, I got to say, they, I think they should have adapted a little bit to improve some things. But again, that's just me. All film is subjective. It hits us all in different ways. This one just didn't hit me the right way. That's all. All right, guys. And that'll do it. No, wait, sorry. No, we're not. We still have some questions to come from our from our channel members. I forgot. I thought we were already on our channel members. Let's move over to some questions from our channel members, shall we? CJ Rebirth, watch the first two Greek wedding movies, and I honestly really enjoyed them. The first one is better, but both to me were entertaining, funny, and remind me a bit of my family. Tula and Ian are a great rom-com couple, as well as her parents, and some of her family members are hilarious. Also, now I'm thinking I'm going uh, to be thinking of Windex differently. I can't even begin to tell you how much I love the first one. It's true. I honestly, I think it's like one of the most special movies ever. It's it's just a simple, heartwarming, very funny, and and felt. It's a Greek family, but my God, you could have called it my big fat Italian wedding. I yeah. mean, it felt it felt very. I mean, it's very European. Felt very Italian to me, uh, which is why I felt so much connection to it. I didn't really like the second one. It has moments, uh, I'll say, but yeah, that first movie. You've never seen the original My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Watch it. It's great. All right. What's next? From Carmelo Smith. John, after seeing part one and part two of an upcoming Avengers movie, what are the chances the Russo brothers tackled those two projects? Would you want them to partake in these two films or would you rather new blood take on these films? I'd be under the category of either. Either works. I mean, look, I, I love Joe and Anthony. I love them. I think they're great. But... um. And I say this as a fan, okay? <laughs> I, but you guys know, I always give my honest opinion. Even if it's not the popular thing, but I say this as a fan of these two guys. What have they done that's been great without Kevin Feige? I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm perplexed to be able to answer that. I, so, <coughs> um, so if they come back. It's the combat. It's not the Russos. That's the magic sauce. It's the Russos working with Kevin Feige. That is clearly some wizardry happens there. So the, those three working together, magic happens. But I also think that it could be another one easily. So if they announce that the Russo brothers are coming back to do it, I'd be super thrilled. But I don't at all in the least feel like it's got to be the Russo brothers. Not at all. I, I think you can get, there are many, many other directors that you could bring in that I think could do a great job with it too. So Russo brothers, great. Not the Russo brothers, totally good. So we'll see how it all works out. All right, what's next? 
from Godzilla 2000 Zero. Between Monarch Legacy of Monsters and Godzilla Minus One, both getting great reviews, this is the most excited I've ever been being a Godzilla fan. Listen, I'm going to be honest, I'm not exactly a Godzilla fan, per se, but you're right. I mean, Monarch being good has really surprised me. Although I shouldn't be surprised it's on Apple TV+. Plus. They just crank out quality. And I'm sorry, Ray. I'm a little dubious about the reviews for Godzilla Minus One. I just wonder how much of it is just people wanting to see a big Godzilla movie and is the movie actually good? I don't know. I'm not saying I'm doubting them. I'm just saying I'm a little dubious. Okay, okay, okay. We'll see when I go in to watch it with you. We've got our tickets. Yeah. I'll go see it with you. I'm going to get you a seat in the back now. <laughs> no, away from me, Away buddy. from you. Killing all the enthusiasm. All right, what's next? From That, funk, uh, that Funko Dad. Went to see the Hunger Games prequel last night. Decided not to read the book and go in blind. Movie was definitely different than I expected, but was pretty good overall. Thought the actor playing Snow did a really nice job. Rachel Ziegler was also good. Definitely wasn't the movie I expected after seeing the previews, but that's definitely not a bad thing. Agree the pacing was a bit weird and definitely should have been 20 to 30 minutes shorter. Yeah, it, it definitely should have been 20 to 30 minutes shorter. Like that, no doubt. Um, but again, the performances, man, they, they were telling a story that needed strong performances to make it hit. And they gave it. They, they, all of them, from Snow to the girl to the game master to the headmaster, like all of them were great. Uh, I, I Again, it's just such bad pacing and the over length of it and then some really, some very questionable decisions. Again, it just, it, it's oftentimes... We'll, I'll talk about a movie that I saw that had some good, some bad, but I'll say, you know what? But the good things outweighed the bad for me so that this is very similar to that where it's like there were some really good things, some bad things, but in this case, the bad things outweighed the good for me, but I'm glad they worked for you. All right, what's next? From George Harris, how many X-Men universes are there? One, older cast with Patrick Stewart. Two, first class with James McAvoy. Three, Doctor Strange multiverse with Patrick Stewart. Four, animated universe. Five, current MCU. Did Monica go to one or three or a new one? Deadpool universes? It doesn't matter. Multiverse <laughs> is so fucking stupid, it just doesn't matter. They can say it's, oh, Monica went through to Earth 71BX25 squared. It, it, it doesn't matter. It's all stupid. Um, so we'll see. Uh, I mean, we'll we'll find out what's going on with all this, and I'm sure it'll tie into other things. Uh, I just, I'm really looking forward to them just starting the X-Men. Just whatever we're saying is the X-Men, let's get to it. Let's finish off this utterly ridiculous, dumb multiverse saga and move on to some real fucking storytelling, shall we? I would really love that. That would be great. All right, what's next? From uh, Sergeant Leonardo, John, you posted the improvised comeback line in Parks and Rec. Any other moments in TV that weren't funny but just shocked you? The boys had a few for me. Well, I'm, for those of you who didn't know, I mean, I've I've talked about this at one of the funniest outtakes in the history. You can look it up on YouTube. Oftentimes, the cast of Parks and Rec would just ad lib and they just go, right? Because that's the backgrounds of all the performers. And there's this great scene where um, Ann Perkins and Leslie Nope are sitting at a big table and they're saying, we got to come up with a comeback story. What's a, everybody loves a comeback story. And they start riffing like, like Rocky and like this and that. And Chris Pratt as Andy Dwyer sitting in the back goes, or Kim Kardashian. 
to which it's it through Amy Poehler and um, uh, the girl who plays uh, Rashida? Perkins, Rashida Rashida Jones. Um, they go, oh uh, yeah, I uh, is that a comeback? And Chris Pratt goes, yeah, because in that video she had come on her back, <laughs> and oh, it breaks the cast, like um, Ron Swanson, Jerry. Like they're they're actors, they just completely, absolutely lose it. And like it's just it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Me telling it doesn't do it justice. But yeah, with the boys, I mean there was one that they took out. They took out a scene from the boys season one. And it it brought up it create it made Chris create one of the greatest slogans of all time, soup goop. <laughs> where they had a scene in season one that they decided to cut and they didn't put it in the show where Homelander stands on top of a tall building in the city, jerking off and orgasming all over the city saying <laughs> while yelling, I can do, do whatever, whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. Right. And like, we were just shocked, but everybody talked about it so much that they eventually took that, ed- that deleted scene and put it in season two. <laughs> it's like that, that was a pretty shocking one. That was a pretty shocking one, I got to say. But also, so many things. Shocking. Penile penetration was definitely a shocking one. Uh, just A-Train running through the girl. Definitely a sh- I mean, they, they just find ways to one-up themselves every single time. All right, what's next? From Jai CSC. Settle a debate, funnier office segment from these two. Fire drill or CPR training? Fire drill. Sorry, I couldn't... Where... Bring that up again? The office um, episodes. So, oh, settle debate of funnier office submit from these two fire drill or CPR fire drill. Yeah. Because <laughs> this is funny, but the fire drill is just great. Uh, the fire drill is so, so chaotic. Yeah. I look, by the way, Ann sent me a clip that I have no recollection of. Like, I don't remember this scene. I think it was one of the cold opens where Daryl's in his office looking out a window, looking really somber. And Pam comes in and says, hey, Daryl, really sorry about your grandmother. And Daryl's like, yeah, she would have been 97 today. And I miss her. She was an incredible woman. Pam's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, but at least she lived a, a full, happy life. And then Pam goes, by the way, uh, everyone in the office, we got you this card because we're thinking of you. And Daryl opens the car. It's like, time to celebrate, big man. Let's get drunk. <laughs> The, and, so, and they cuss to Pam. It's possible some of the people in the office thought it was your birthday. <laughs> and then Dwight comes in with a party hat and blowing his, <laughs> like a party blower and people running getting hugs. And meanwhile, Daryl's got tears coming down his eyes. Oh my God, that show's so good. Oh, the office is so good. All right, guys. And that'll do it for today's installment of the John Campy Show podcast. Thank you so much for being here and making the show part of your day. Big special thank you to all you guys who sent in those questions and topics. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us involved with the show, thank you guys so very much for your support. Uh, Just to let you guys know, we will be doing an open mic in a few hours, a little bit later this afternoon at 3.30 p.m. Los Angeles time. So if you'd like to come back and join us and talk a little bit more, going to be doing that at 3.30. Come on back and join us for that. So for the people in the room, Ray Ora. Have a good weekend. Jonathan Voico. Later. Chris Carr. Be safe. Have a great weekend, everybody. My name is John Campion. Until next time, my friends. Bye-bye.